So, good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspiration. It's been produced here in our Come and See studio here in Ada, and this, the 22nd of September, it's the 25th Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is John Keeley. Thank you again for joining me. And especially, well, I'd like to welcome this morning, uh, again, listeners who are housebound, lonely and struggling in some way. Especially those listeners who support us each week in prayer. Thank you for spending this time with us. This morning we hope to, to share some more faith topics with us, but before we go any further, I'd like to welcome my colleague, uh, Shane Ambrose, who joining me somewhere in Skyplank. Good morning to you, Shane. How are you? Good morning, John. How are we keeping? Good. Thanks a lot for joining me, Shane. Of course, this programme is broadcast on Sacred Space at West Limit 102 Local Radio at 10am and 11pm each Sunday. And it's also available for playback and download on commonseeinspirations.buzzspread.com. Actually, if you just open up buzzspread.com, search for the, for the website, Come and See Inspirations, you'll find us there. There is a little link, I know Shane explained to us last week, there is a little link on our um, sacred space, 102.blogspot um, blog that we've been using for 10 years. Uh, Shane's been actually keeping that going for us, but there is still a link there to Come and See Inspirations where you can hear all of our current programs and previous programs. If you want to contact us at all, uh, 06, uh, 087 6088667, that's 087 6088667. Or you can still e- email us, and that's on sacredspace102 at gmail.com. And again, thanks for all those people who continue to, um, to email us and text us with comments and suggestions and so on forth each week. Thank you so much for that. Just before Shane might share some science for the week with us, I just want to mention... A little notice before I forget, uh, that, that's on actually the Newcastle West Bulletin this week. It's in regard to a knock pilgrimage for St. Patrick, St. Pio. The annual national pilgrimage in honour of St. Patrick Pio at Knock Shrine will take place on Sunday, the 22nd of September, that's uh, today. A coach actually would have left the market yard, so John, forget that one. I'm really, I'm really going well now with this now this morning, aren't I? <laughs> oh no, what day is it this week, son? Um... No, it's the one. 25th Sunday in ordinary time, John. It's the 22nd Sunday, so forget that notice. I'm going to cut that out because that's already left this morning. Sorry about that. Okay, so maybe at this part of the programme, uh, Shane, you might be able to share some saints for the week with us, and then I might let people know actually what's uh, what's going to happen in part two of the programme. But saints for the week this week, Shane, please. Sure, no problem, John. So this week we are celebrating, or we're in, I should say, the 25th week in ordinary time. Um, so uh, the saints. So this today, or tomorrow rather, the twenty-third Monday, we're celebrating a very popular one, which is Saint Pius of Petrocasina. Is that how it's pronounced? John? That's the one. Yeah, uh, who's basically that's Padre Pio, folks. So tomorrow's the feast day of Padre Pio. It's Franciscan Stigmatus died nineteen sixty-eight, Capuchin friar, uh, confessor, and a friend to all who suffer is is, is how he has is described. Uh, I don't think we need to go through the man's life and times. He received the stigmata and suffered with it for many, many years, and including uh, questioning and disbelief from those in authority, both within his own order and within the church. Then on the 24th of September, we are celebrating, John, actually the feast day of Our Lady of Walsingham. Oh, I didn't recognise that now. Hmm. No, exactly. No. So we've had Walsingham on the programme a number of times, including interviews with both, if I remember rightly, the Anglican and the Catholic chaplains at the shrine, the, 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 she the she new did. shrine. She did. So Walsingham, of course, is a Marian shrine in the UK. 
uh, in England, and it was once upon called the the Nazareth of England, and um, it was built around 1061 by Lady Richelaz de Fervesh, mm-hmm. and it was manned by Augustinian canons until, of course, it was suppressed by Henry VIII in 1534. Now, an interesting one, John. Question has been raised. The Shrine of Walsingham had a famous statue of Our Lady enthroned, holding a lily and with the Christ child in her arms. And the general assumption has been that the statue of Walsingham was destroyed during the dissolution of the monasteries. It was actually, it was supposedly brought back to London and burnt at Lambeth Palace. However, there is now questions. There is one of the church, one of the museums in London. I think it's the Victorian Albert Museum, the V&A, and there is a question as to whether or not the uh, 11th century timber statue that they hold, which is very similar to Our Lady of Walsingham, is actually the original Walsingham statue. So that's currently been investigated in the UK. So then, on the 25th of September, we are celebrating on the Irish calendar the feast day of St. Finbar. Now, of course, Finbar is associated with Cork. He is the patron saint of, of, of the Cork dioceses. And he is, of course, associated with Gugan Barra, where he lived as a hermit. And disciples gathered around him, when, and so he, when students gathered around him, he moved to Cork at the Mount of the Lee, where he founded the monastery, which became a famous centre of learning, and which is the foundation of the modern city of Cork. Then on the 26th of September, we have the feast days of St. Cosmas and Damien's. They were brothers, and they were doctors, or physicians, they're sometimes described, and they never charged money for acting as doctors. Now, they're interesting as well in this current day, because, of course, they are actually martyrs in Syria. And in particular, at this time, we remember all of those suffering in Syria, both Christians and non-Christians, but in particular, we remember the Christian martyrs that have died uh, in, the la- in the war, which is now going on for eight and a half years. Then on Friday, which is the 27th, we have the feast day of St. Vincent de Paul. Now, the interesting thing is, St. Vincent de Paul didn't actually found the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Mm. The society only took his name. Um, but he did found the Congregation of the Mission, otherwise known as the Vincentians, and he also founded the Daughters of Charity. And the, one of the claims to fame with the Daughters of Charity, of course, that was the congregation that Catherine Labori was in, she who of the Miraculous Medal uh, in the Rue de Bac in Paris. Um, the, first, uh, they, the interesting thing also about the Daughters of Charity, they were the first sisters to work outside their convents in apostolic work or active service. Vincent de Paul, of course, he was a chaplain to the Queen of France, suffered when she went into exile, then they returned to France under the Bourbons, and he died in 1660. And finally, John, on Saturday, we have two feast day. We have the feast day, first of all, of St. Lauren Ruse and Companions, and these were martyrs in the city of Nagasaki in Japan. Now, people might remember there was a film a couple of years ago, and the name of it escapes me. I think it's called Into Silence um, by Martin Scorsese, which looked at the martyrdom of the Christian martyrs in Nagasaki around 16... 1633 to 1637 and it was interesting because there was a christian community in japan they were persecuted for the faith and foreigners were kicked out so japan became a closed country for about 250 years and it it was forced open the black ships forced open japan around the middle of the 1850s but what was interesting was that when western when europeans and americans went back into japan afterwards they found an underground hidden community of christians who had kept the faith Uh, Even though they had no priests, they had no clergy, but they had maintained the faith because they had kept baptism and all the rest of it alive. Um, So that's uh, on on Saturday. The other saint we celebrate on Saturday, John, 
is Saint Wenceslas. He of, uh, you know, uh, good King Wenceslas, mm-hmm. and uh, he died in 935. Now, this one is an interesting one. Um, he's the patron saint of brewers. Now, brewers seem to have a number of patron saints. He's one of them. But I suppose that's associated because uh, Bohemia is in modern-day, I'm going to say the Czech Republic. Uh, it used to be Czechoslovakia. I can't remember which one is which. And uh, he was a prince of Bohemia, and he was killed by his brother. Who Now, it was interesting because he succeeded the throne to his father after his father was killed by his uncle. So, obviously, a charming family to be a member of. Um, you know, his brother wasn't so good with the faith. There was, a, you know, returns to paganism and all the rest of it. Winslow was killed because he kind of wanted to cut down the wars and stop killing people and treat them fairly and all the rest of it. And his brother was having none of that. So, he died in 935 AD. So, John, that's who we have this week on the calendar for our saints for the 25th week. It's 25th week in ordinary time. Also, for those praying the Psalter, we're on week one. Perfect. Thank you very much, Nathan that, Shane. Just before we go for our spiritual communion prayer, there's just a little notice here that I want to bring to uh, listeners' attention. Again, it's it's a favourite subject here actually on on Come and See Inspirations, Lectio Divina. Uh, Lectio Divina takes place in the parish uh, centre in Newcastle West on Monday evenings, uh, ten past eight to ten past nine. In a relaxed atmosphere, no previous experience required and no pressure really. Uh, I, I, I've been going there now for about the last 10 or more years now and about 20 or more people uh, join me each uh, each Monday evening. It, it, it's really a, a, a beautiful exercise in that Father Frank Duick from, from Newcastle West leads us through the Sunday Gospel and really gives us pointers as to how the Gospel passage can affect our own life and really gives us something to think about as we go away um, from lecture divina to take it with us for the week and then see where it brings us i'd invite anybody who has any chance at all it might be a good idea now between now and christmas maybe just just take it up yeah yeah just one other thing. I just wanted to give a congratulations and an ad multus annus to a couple of people. <laughs> so, Glenn Stahl celebrated last Saturday because they celebrated the first profession of Brother Justin, who will now be known, as far as I'm aware, as Brother Oscar. That's right. So, he's after, he's after making first profession in Glenn Stahl. Mm-hmm. Second of all, a friend of the program, Father uh, Martin Brown, is celebrating 11 years professed in Glenn Stahl. And also, we must give congratulations to another friend of the program, which is Father Conor McDonough, who's a Dominican, uh, who is celebrating 10 years in profession as well. In addition to that, uh, we must also congratulate the Dominicans as they had four men who entered the novitiate uh, last weekend also on the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, which is the patronal feast day of the Dominican Order in Ireland. Isn't it great? Great news. Shane, thanks a lot for, for bringing that to our attention. Oh, hang on, I forgot. John, sorry, as we're talking about that, sorry, we might as well spate the obvious. Also, congratulations, or not congratulations, but best wishes and prayers to the 15 men who have begun um, in Maynooth or begun preparation for diocesan ministry. Um, So there's some in Maynooth, there's some in Spain, there's some in Rome, and we keep them all in our prayers. Very important, as you often mentioned before, Shane. Please don't grow on trees. They They come from our own families and they need prayer. So now, uh, spiritual communion prayer. This is a prayer that we always pray each Sunday. Uh, each time we, and we actually record the programme. And this is for those especially who can't get to Mass this morning, who can't receive Jesus in, the, in, in Holy Communion, and who probably would have done it all their life, including maybe daily Mass. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. 
I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. But we might go for our first bit of music. This one is entitled, Come, Now is a Time to Worship. Come 
So welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined on the other end of the skyline by Shane Ambrose. So again today I'm going to play some more recordings that I made uh, from the recent novena in Knox Rhine uh, in, in August. Today I, I have two gentlemen, uh, one being John Bruton. John Bruton is a former Irish Fine Gael politician who served as Taoiseach from 1994 to 1997. He was also EU ambassador to the United States and held various other leadership and ministerial roles throughout his career. And John is going to speak to us on faith, future and Europe. So let's hear what John has to say to us. I've been asked to talk about faith, future and Europe. I'll start with faith. There's a deep need for faith in every one of us, even those who've never believed in God or who have ceased to do so. Archbishop Neary put it very well when he spoke in Westport on Reek Sunday recently. He said, people don't stop wanting God because they stop believing in him. The enduring hunger for meaning is there still. And in the absence of answers, there follows anxiety, depression, and a deep sense of being alone. Without transcendent meaning, without faith, life can become a day-to-day -day trek from one insignificant goalpost to another. Of course, people have doubts, but as Archbishop Neary told the pilgrims in Westport, faith is not primarily concerned with pinning down certitudes, but rather being open to a sense of wonder and awe, which will cut through our conservative certitudes and our liberal self-righteousness. Faith challenges both of them, both conservative certitudes and liberal self-righteousness. Faith asks us to look beyond our settled opinions. It asks us to abandon our lazy relativism, asks us to have the confidence and the courage to distinguish between what is true and what is untrue, right and wrong, and to recognize that some rights that people have are more important than others and that choices have to be made between them sometimes. Of course, this sort of thing is difficult for us as Catholics to say even to our own families. And it is equally difficult for our church to say these same things to a wider and not always welcoming public. It can be difficult to pass on the faith to our children and grandchildren. As Archbishop Neary said on another occasion, the church, and that's all of us, is being led, in his words, to newness, new awareness, new duties, new forms of mission, new possibilities that may puzzle us, which may scare us and make us defensive. Above all, faith opens us up to something bigger than ourselves. Faith is something that transcends and gives meaning to everything else. 
In so doing, faith answers a deep human need in every one of us. Faith is a gift, a gift from God. But it's also a decision, a free decision, to accept that gift or not to do so. Like marriage, faith is a commitment. What has that got to do with Europe? The late Pope John Paul II answered that question in an apostolic exhortation in 2003 uh, addressed to the faithful of Europe. And 2003 was the year that his own, two years after, his own country, Poland, had joined the European Union. Speaking in 2003, he was hopeful about many things. He praised the new openness of European peoples to one another, putting strife behind them. He was pleased with the growth of a European consciousness among people and the growing unity of Europe. He said, there is no doubt that in Europe's history, Christianity has been a central and defining element. The Christian faith has shaped the culture of the continent. He went on, Europe must recognize and reclaim with creative fidelity those fundamental values acquired through Christianity, namely the affirmation of the transcendent dignity of each person, the value of reason, of freedom, of democracy, of the constitutional state, and of the distinction between political life and religion. End of the quotation from the Pope. He said he wanted Catholics and Christians generally to get involved with European institutions, to help shape a European social order respectful of the human dignity of each man and each woman, and thus in accordance with the common good. He wanted them to understand that faith and reason are not antagonists, they complement one another. Faith inspires our reason, reason improves our faith. But he worried about Europe's loss of its Christian memory, a loss that he feared would bring about a pervasive fear of the future. Speaking in 2003, he was right. I think most would agree that the fear of the future is greater now in 2019 than it was in 2003. Without a reference to its religious heritage, Europe and Ireland is disconnected from the source of its most deeply held values, held sh uh, shared values that could give it confidence and courage to face the future. Without, so to speak, a sense of the fate of our fathers, we Europeans will lose our moorings. At times it seems as if relativism has become the real religion of the modern European. We incline to see no evil, so we don't have to become involved. We are afraid to say what we believe is right, in case it might give offence. 
we think everyone has their own truth. And there's nothing that, there's true, that is true for everybody, such as the absolute truth revealed to us by Christ. Europeans should realize, reflecting on all this, that democracy needs a value system. Alexis de Tocqueville, the French writer who visited the United States in the 19th century, and observing how America was both a very democratic country and also a very religious country. And the two were separated but complemented one another. He said, and I quote, Despotism may govern without faith, but liberty cannot govern without faith. Despotism may govern without faith, but liberty cannot do so. Without a higher order of values, everything becomes subject to temporary majorities. Let me take the example of human rights. Is there any priority among the rights that human beings ought to enjoy? Is a child human before it's born? Ought a yet-to-be-born child enjoy any human rights? Is the right to life not superior to other human rights, in the sense that without life a human cannot enjoy any other rights they might have? The teaching of our church offers clear, sustainable, logical answers to these deep and difficult questions, just as it does to the deep questions about what constitutes a just war. As we have seen recently, democracy, I've seen this in Ireland, democracy, if guided only by relativism, offers no useful answers to these profound questions. And so it avoids those questions. All it can do is suggest a process for decision-making, like a citizen's assembly or something of that nature. But it does not and cannot answer the substantial moral questions around the nature of human life and the rights attaching to human life. The argument instead is only on the level of pragmatism at best and emotionalism at worst. Our challenge is to convince young, peer, young Europeans, young Irish people, of the modern value of their Christian heritage. One way to do, them, do this is to ask them to look at the churches and cathedrals of Europe, magnificent churches and cathedrals, built over generations with the savings of people who were immeasurably poorer and far, far fewer in number than we are today. And look what they were able to do. Looking at these beautiful churches and cathedrals and reflecting upon them, we gain a window into the value system of our ancestors. Why did they make such sacrifices? To build churches and cathedrals that many would not see finished in their lifetime. Why were so many magnificent churches built in this country indeed, in the time of the famine? There is a five-letter word to explain why that happened. Faith. Faith in God. Faith in something greater than today. Faith in something beyond 
their own lives and beyond even the lives of their grandchildren or great-grandchildren. Faith in eternal life. A cathedral or a basilica like this beautiful one is more than just a landmark. It is a signpost to the future. And if we, in this generation, do not have that faith in the future that our ancestors so well manifested in the churches that they helped to build, we can regain it. We can regain that sense of transcendence, that sense of our place in the greater scheme of things. And that's why we're all here in Knock today, to help one another to regain that faith in the future, to regain and strengthen that faith in God. The laity will have a much bigger role in the future of the Catholic Church. I think that's clear. But as Archbishop Neary might have put it, the laity, as it takes on an increased role in evangelization, as we will have to do, it will have to, we will have to undertake, as the Archbishop would have put it, new forms of mission, new possibilities that may puzzle us, which may scare us and make us defensive. But isn't that much more interesting than sticking to the old road of social conformism, of giving out about other people and their failings and doing nothing much about it? So our second uh, speaker this morning uh, is Reverend Trevor Sargent. Reverend Trevor uh, is a Church of Ireland minister and a former Irish Green Party politician who served as Minister for State for Food and Agriculture from 2007 to 2010 and leader of the Green Party from 2001 to 2007. Trevor was ordained in 2018 and serves the parishes of the Waterford Union. So the Reverend Trevor Sager is going to speak with us again uh, today on the topic, Faith in Action. So let's hear Reverend Trevor. Good afternoon. It's such a pleasure and an honour to be asked Dulga Krukwira Agis Laurt La Slua Moor Neafa Teampa Learning Unsha Agis Grumagut La Harishdard Asan Falcha Creul a cur Roman son. I bring you greetings from my own parish, uh, the Church of Ireland Parish of the Waterford Union of Waterford, Tremor, Dunmore, and Anstown. And it is 
for them a great pleasure that I come here also. Our theme, Faith in Action, if one recalls the words of the letter of James, chapter 122, where James tells us very straightforwardly, um, do not just hear the word and deceive yourselves, but do the word. And as such, we are called to be active disciples of Christ. My story, and some, as one or two says, I remember you from the television, so maybe there's a glimpse of a story there in some people's minds already. But as a child growing up, um, my uncle, my uncle Arthur, uh, God be good to him, who's gone to his eternal reward, he used to bring me on holidays to Mayo, uh, particularly to Ackle. And on leaving home, my mother would say, now make sure he goes to church. Um, and so my uncle would say, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm, he wasn't a very um, regular churchgoer himself. So on Sunday, I'd say, um, Uncle Arthur, um, I'm going to church. And he said, I don't know where we're going then. Uh, so anyway, he brought me to the local Roman Catholic church. It was the nearest one, the only one that he could see. And uh, as an eight or nine-year-old, I, I went and I prayed. And I, he collected me at the door. And off we went. So my, um, it's not... Um, it's not unusual for me to be attending different churches, I suppose that's one point. On the other hand, I did have a faith which in school um, meant that my, my favorite pastime was the scripture union. A few of us used to, in fact, Luke's gospel that we read would have been familiar because we had the gospel of Luke. That was what we worked on. That, that was our, our textbook in scripture union. Uh, I suppose it's no surprised then that I felt a sense of vocation. I became a primary school teacher um, and that led me to uh, teach religion. I moved to Cork, West Cork. I wanted to teach in a Gaeltacht school um, and I, I got involved in youth ministry there, drawing cartoons for our Diocesan magazine. Uh, we, all, we all have our callings, I suppose. Um, but in a sense, um, that sense of faith also led me to be involved in whatever causes were going on around me. And one in North County Dublin that was very close to my heart was different people who, on the outskirts of Dublin, were finding that they were becoming the chosen site for uh, a dump or some other thing that was going to affect their quality of life. And that led to me being elected to, as a councillor to Dublin County Council and then as a TD in 1992, um, following some various planning corruption scandals that meant that when I was asking the question, uh, has anybody else received a cheque that I've been sent and I didn't ask for, apparently that, um, that caused a bit of a, a, a stir. So I was, if you like, catapulted into the public uh, eye. I didn't particularly seek it, but that's the way sometimes life goes. In the Oireachtas, however, I did, if you like, team up with people of faith in different political parties. Um, we started a prayer group, and we, um, at the time of the Good Friday Agreement, were very involved in meeting people on both sides of the border, people from South Africa, from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, 
people who through faith were working at bringing peace into very fractious, um, divided communities. And uh, that, thank God, has resulted in the miracle of the Good Friday Agreement. I do believe it was a miracle, it still is a miracle, and it's a miracle we need to continue to pray for with Brexit coming down the tracks. Um, as uh, a TD, I was also involved in my church, and when I lost the election in 2011, uh, I do thank the people of Dublin North. Uh, I know they mightn't see it that way, but by closing that door, they allowed God to open another. And so my, my role now as a, as a priest in the Church of Ireland has become possible. And I work with Eco Congregation Ireland, which involves all of the denominations, um, Christian denominations, working on the environment. So action is at the heart of it. But I would say that in Isaiah, and we heard from Jeremiah there, um, and Isaiah, in a similarly prophetic way, calls us to action. And he says in the first chapter, when you, this is God speaking, uh, and through Isaiah, we read these words, when you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I won't listen. Seek justice. And if you are willing and obedient, you will eat of the good of the land. So there's a very clear message from God that prayer is important, but unless God sees the follow-through in action, then it isn't going to be listened to. And that's the words from Isaiah. And we recently had the mass killings in America once again, in Dayton, uh, Ohio, and in El Paso. And as we often hear on the television or the radio, when community leaders uh, come on in response to a tragedy, you hear the words, my thoughts and prayers are with the family. Ever heard that before? And thank God we have the thoughts and prayers of people supporting us going through a crisis, through a bereavement, through grief. But in Ireland, we have a wonderful way of doing much more. In fact, by action, we show our prayerfulness. We bring trays of sandwiches. We bake a cake. We are with people. And that is the action which Isaiah is talking about. It is more than just words. It is more than thoughts. It is action. And in America, you had quite a reaction to the community leaders, political leaders saying our thoughts and prayers. They were saying thoughts and prayers without action is actually quite hypocritical. They were saying, where's the gun law? Where's the reform? Where's the action to stop this happening again? So action is required along with thoughts and prayers. In the poor case of Nora Koran, uh, uh, who died in Malaysia, the Irish teenager, the action of the people who helped in that search, who helped to feed the people helping in that search, was probably more tangible than all of the prayers that were being offered on behalf of that unfortunate teenage girl who died. And likewise, the footballers in the cave where one diver um, uh, was killed, those divers that offered to help find those boys and rescue them were giving expression to the action, faith in action. 
So Isaiah is making that point so many years ago, 2,800 years ago, uh, we reckon. And there is in Isaiah something very, very contemporary. And that is, he's talking about justice, he's talking about food, he's talking about lives. And in our day, climate change is taking lives. The World Health Organization from 2014 estimates a quarter of a million extra deaths every year due to the drought and the famine, the floods and the extreme weather caused by climate change. Just last January, the New England Journal of Medicine said that was a conservative estimate. It's actually much more than that. So people are calling out for action. So when we pray, it, it is so important that we look to action. Christian Aid has produced our booklet, Faith in Action, Hear Our Prayer. And I have a few copies for anybody, uh, well, not for everybody, actually, unfortunately, uh, but Christian Aid, I'm sure, will help. I'll give you whatever copies I have anyway. But to me, and this is such a great pleasure to be here because much of my hope for the future has been um, boosted by Pope Francis. In writing Laudato Si, his encyclical from 2015, we have a call to action, a prayerful call to action. And it is an action which is not any way um, um, easy, it is challenging. Um, and it's something poignant because tomorrow, the great celebration here of the miracle at Knock in 1879, and in September, the 40th anniversary from the visit of Pope John Paul II, and it's something amazing that paragraph 79 of this encyclical contains these words as a call to action. And the words of Pope Francis, the work of the church seeks not only to remind everyone of the duty to care for nature, but at the same time, she must above all protect mankind from self-destruction. Not just pray, not just strive, not just do something, but protect mankind from self-destruction. So that call to action from Pope Francis is on the button. It is exactly what the scientists are saying needs to be done, and it is uh, leadership. Um, which we don't see too often in the church, that is drawing together all the churches. Because through the work of all the churches working as Eco Congregation Ireland, and you can look them up, ecocongregationireland.com. I worked with Sister Catherine Brennan and representatives of all the faiths in Ireland. Um, they are putting into action by asking every parish to register with Eco Congregation Ireland and exercise that element of your mission which takes account of God's creation, on which we all depend, and on which God relies on us to protect. So I was going to finish with a prayer from that booklet, but what I would like to do instead, I just thought of it, and I mentioned it to Father uh, Richard, was just to sing two verses of a hymn we had last Sunday 
in our worship in Christ Church in Tremor. And when I was singing it last Sunday, I said, that speaks so much of Knock. It's a hymn of healing, a hymn of brokenness, a hymn of humility, and a hymn which Our Lady would, I believe, be singing herself in the way you hear these words. I want you to just think of what they might mean to you. We cannot measure how you heal or answer every sufferer's prayer. Yet we believe your grace responds where faith and doubt unite to care. Your hands, though bloodied on the cross, survive to hold and heal and warn to carry all through death to life and cradle children yet unborn. So some have come who need your help and some have come to make amends as hands which shaped and saved the world are present in the touch of friends. Lord, let your spirit meet us here to mend the body, mind, and soul. To disentangle peace from pain and make your broken people whole. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So again, we hope that uh, you uh, enjoy those two talks given by John Bruton and Trevor Sargent. And now we'll play a second piece of music, and this is taken from the Maranatha Singers, and this one is entitled, I Will Serve You. So let's hear this. I will serve you because I love you. Have given life to me. I was nothing until you found me. You have given life to me. Heartaches, broken people, ruined lives are why you. Died on Calvary, your touch is what I long for. You have given life to me. I will serve you because I love you. You have given life to I was nothing until you found me. You have given life to me. Heart. 
Welcome back again to the third part of Common Sea Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined on the other end of the Skype line by Shane Ambrose. And this is the part of the program where we read and reflect on the Word of God. And before that, as usual, there's a prayer which we pray before reading and reflecting. And Shane's going to share that with us this morning. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Jen. So the Gospel for today is taken from the Gospel of Luke. Now, there's a shorter version and a longer version. We're going to read the long version today because it really gives a fuller idea of what the message is. So this is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verse 1 to 13. Jesus said to his disciples, There was a rich man, and he had a steward who was denounced to him for being wasteful with his property. He called for the man and said, What is this I hear about you? Draw me up an account of your stewardship, because you are not to be my steward any longer. Then the steward said to himself, Now that my master has taken the stewardship from me, what am I to do? Dig? I'm not strong enough. Go begging? I should be too, too ashamed. Uh, I know what I'll do. I did, uh, what I'll do to make sure that when I am dismissed from office, there will be some to welcome me into their homes. Then he called his master's debtors one by one. To the first he said, How much do you owe my master? One hundred measures of oil, was the reply. Then the master said, Here, take your band, sit down straight away and write fifty. To another he said, And you, sir, how much do you owe? One hundred measures of wheat, was the reply. The man said, Here, take a band and write eighty. The man praised the dishonest steward for, for, steward for his astuteness. For the children of this world are more astute in dealing with their own kind than are the children of light. And so I tell you this, use money, tainted as it is, to win your friends. And thus make sure that when it fails you, they will welcome you into the tents of eternity. 
The man who can be trusted in little things can be trusted in great. The man who is dishonest in little things will be dishonest in great. If then you cannot be trusted with money, that tainted thing, who will trust you with genuine riches? And if you cannot be trusted with what is not yours, who will give you what is your very own? No servant can be slave of two masters. He'll either hate the first and love the second, or treat the first with respect and the second with scorn. You cannot be the slave both of God and money. So that's the gospel for this week. Shane, unfortunately, we've got less than a minute left, maybe 30 seconds or so. Okay, I suppose what I would say, John, this week's gospel, what is Jesus trying to tell us? We need to be prepared and we need to look around and learn from the ways of the world, but to be able to respond to a crisis. There you go. I think, Shane, I think that sums it up. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And now we might just finish off the programme this morning with a piece of music. Maybe it's ideal. It's, um, it's by Tom McKenzie, and this one is entitled This Little Light of Mine. So next week, God bless you all now. Bye.